Okay, you're ready to jump in? Okay, should I just go? Mm-hmm. All right. Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers. And for anyone else who loves the Hebrew Scriptures, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. We're both preachers who love the Old Testament, and we're pursuing Old Testament PhDs at Emory University. Pursuing PhDs, which seem to run farther away every day. Dissertation proposal time, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you feel like sometimes your sermons are trying to run away from you, you're in a great place because we prepared for you some thoughts on the familiar, beloved psalm for this week, Psalm 23. Rachel, what have you got for this Shot of Espresso mini-episode? Yeah, this is a great psalm to preach on. Um, we're in the season of Easter. We are uh, back in the John texts in the Gospel lessons, which can feel so out of place, frankly, for me when I was uh, preaching regularly to do the uh, do the resurrection and, and send Jesus off, and, and all of a sudden you're back in John, and it just feels kind of kind of awkward, kind of just a little awkward, I think is what I would call it. So. What better way to break up the monotony of the uh, lectionary season than to take a cue from Jesus, who talks about being our shepherd, and preach on Psalm 23, which begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, do you think, Tim, that preaching on a very familiar psalm is going to be easy or hard? Sounds like a challenge to me because you're kind of dulled to it by over-familiarity. That's how I feel too when I'm, when I'm faced with something like this. So you have one of two options as you go through this. You can either take a more familiar route. People are going to know this psalm from uh, funerals most likely, uh, depending on your context. If you're a funeral-heavy context, if you're not a funeral-heavy context and, and more in an unchurched area, yeah, they might not be familiar with this psalm. So in that case, it might be worthwhile to start out with the kind of cultural concept of this psalm as very gentle, as very pastoral. If your context is one that is a little bit um, dulled to that, though, you might want to take a different tack as you walk through this psalm. Um, because while we're used to it sounding pastoral, it's got a really sort of sharp undertone to it. Now, the first verse, which we read as the Lord is my shepherd, I, um, you know, I lack nothing, nothing shall I want. It sounds very melodic, very lyrical. The Hebrew is very sharp. It's very punctuated. That first verse is just four words. Adonai roi, lo echsar. God, my shepherd, not will I lack. It's almost more like a rap than a melody or like a heartbeat um, or even a drum. So keep that in mind with that drum thing. We'll come back to that a little bit later. Leading in then to verses three to four, we have, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my what, Tim? Your soul. Your soul, of course. Your nefesh. Now, we talked with Stephen Reed about nefesh and about my deep desire to understand this word. And so I'm bothering everyone I know to give me a definition of it. And, and we had some really fun insights with him talking about yearning, about core life force. And I do think that nefesh does carry those layers. But again, the same point I made then, start with the body, start with mm -hmm. the bodily reality of what this is, and then jump to the more abstract. Uh, because this is, again, that throat, that sort of guttural 
thirsting throat. And so in the midst of this very sort of pastoral sounding beginning, you have a really dry throat. You have a dry throat that's so dry it needs to be renewed, it needs to be restored. And that begs the question, why is your throat so dry if all you're doing is chilling by lapping waters of a lake? <laughs> yeah. Here's where we start to hear more of that drumbeat that I was talking in verse one. All is not quite as simple as it seems. This is a psalm that has less to do with gentle repose and more to do with being given life during a really tough journey. Like when you're traveling a really hard, dangerous path, you're going to need water to survive. And that path then gets picked up in verse um, uh, verse four, which talks about, though I walk through the valley of, you know, pick your favorite translation, the valley of the shadow of death, um, the darkest valley, a valley of deepest darkness. True confessions, when I was in the pulpit and I was reading it, I would just say the valley of the shadow of death. I think there's a lot of power in that. It's a little more... Uh, figurative than the actual Hebrew is, but I think the Hebrew can sustain it as well. So if you like Valley of the Shadow of Death, I say go for it. Mm -hmm. um, that's just my thought on it. Uh, but again, if you're hanging out by a, a little lake with lapping waters, why are you going through this darkest valley? Why are you going through the valley of a shadow? What's going on there? Now, of course, it's not one that causes fear in the psalmist because we find out at the end of verse four, of the rod and the staff of the shepherd. A rod and a staff. Again, something we're used to seeing in very beautiful stained glass windows or paintings. But uh, a shepherd was a really common trope in the ancient Near East for a king. And a rod and a staff were actually defensive mechanisms. They were things that a shepherd used to defend the sheep when stuff was starting to go bad. So this whole psalm is almost kind of a play on a pastoral image, which carries this, this military undertone or this um, defensive undertone. And this becomes even more clear in verse 5, where the psalmist says, You spread a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And if you don't hear that darker undertone, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, enemies? We were just hanging out by the lake. Like, I was about to go jet skiing. What's the deal with en enemies <laughs> here? Um, and so why are they mentioned here? That becomes clearer again as we continue to move through into verse 6. But just a quick pause, anointing my head with oil. Uh, Tim, who do you know was anointed with oil in the ancient Near East? That would be kings, I think, especially of David and when he was anointed by Samuel. Yeah, kings for sure were. Um, honored guests were as well, which uh, again is a story from John when, um, and it's actually in all four Gospels, when Jesus is anointed with precious perfume or precious oil by the women, woman who then wipes her hair with his feet. Wipes his feet with her hair. Well, I'm sorry. Wipes his, okay, let me try that again. Um, <laughs> who then wipes her feet with her, <clears throat> who then wipes his feet with her hair. It took me three times to say that, so... I'm going to just put that out there. Also, something else that was anointed was dead bodies. Uh, so you get this kind of whole overflow of um, imagery when it talks about being anointed with oil, especially if you think about the danger undertones that are in this psalm. Now, the last verse is really where it gets interesting because, again, we're used to it being so sweet. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I mean, it sounds lovely. The rhythm of the English is beautiful. But that follow is really more pursue. It's really more of this image of you're being dogged by something. Um, and oftentimes, 
what's dogging you is the enemies. So the enemies who are mentioned back in verse five here are replaced with goodness and mercy. Really, tov vechesed is more like goodness and steadfast love. So the promise at the end is uh, really turns that enemy image on its head. Uh, but we miss that if we if we just kind of allow only the sweetness to rise to the top in this psalm. Now, preaching pitfalls. If you're going to preach on a familiar text, avoid the overly sweet and saccharine. If you are going to preach on this sort of darker undertone or military undertone, avoid military glorification. Um, the reality of the military is that people are hurt and people die. And I think um, veterans are the first to lift up that reality of their experience. So if if you are not a veteran or um, uh, aren't quite familiar with that, maybe check this out with some of the vets in your community, in your congregation, and see how they hear uh, what you're saying about this psalm. Now, of course, for a sermon angle, it doesn't necessarily have to be military, but in a world that feels edgier than maybe it has in recent years, your people might appreciate an edgier take on this psalm. Green pastures are life-giving not just because of their beauty, but because they mean survival along the journey. Darkest valleys confront us in so many places in our lives, and our shepherd is visible in that darkest valley because of a rod and a staff, but also because of that rod and staff is ready and willing to defend us, to keep anything from snatching us from his hand, as Jesus says in the gospel lesson for today. After being pursued by enemies, God prepares a table before us, anoints us, and promises us that in the midst of this, only goodness and steadfast love shall ever pursue us again. Fantastic. Well, that sounds like a great note to end our conversation on today. Thanks for a new take on a familiar psalm, Rachel. My pleasure. Now remember, you can always check out more of our stuff on firstreadingpodcast.com. Leave us a message. Tell us how much you love the podcast, how amazing we look. Tim, they, they can't see us. Well, don't ruin the moment, Rachel. I've often been told I have a face for radio. <laughs> Until next week, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Rudd. Happy preaching. Happy preaching.